Well, we are in the season of Lent right now, and I'll get to that in tomorrow's podcast. But every year, this time of year, I get questions from podcast listeners about Roman Catholicism versus uh, Christianity, born-again Christianity. And today I'm going to answer the question, can a Roman Catholic, a practicing Roman Catholic, be born again? Also, we're going to talk about the issue of suffering and the will of God. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, I hope you guys are having a great Monday. This is one of my favorite days of the week here at the show. It's the chance for me to get to interact with you and answer your questions. If you would like to have a question answered here at the podcast, shoot it to me at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. All right, I'm going to jump right into the deep end today because you guys are sending me some wonderful questions. I love the discussion. You've heard me say many times here at the show that I believe we need to be having and engaging in thoughtful conversations about the issues of our day, whether they're political, whether they're talking about issues of our health, which, you know, I don't know if you guys are watching the news, but you may have seen now that the major news outlets are saying that, what do you know? Uh, the COVID-19 virus came from Wuhan. Wow. Uh, I, 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 our staff was talking about this in a little signal chat and they were saying, man, if you'd have just gone to our Facebook pages, you guys would have known this, you know, three years ago. <laughs> but it's kind of, I just think it's it's amazing to me, just the turn of events that are happening in the culture right now. And I think the conversations that we're having around these important events are very uh, good for us to have. We need to be able to engage. And we also need to be able to uh, disagree about things that are not of eternal significance or things that uh, we know are not causing harm to other people, issues of freedom that we have as believers that we can, areas that uh, we can disagree on. And uh, it doesn't make us enemies of each other. So I say all that to say, this is going to be, I think, a hard uh, podcast for some of you to hear. And because we're going to talk about Catholicism and you know, obviously in the season of Lent, there are many uh, wonderful Catholics that I actually love and admire, admire their work, admire their passion for the Lord. And it always comes up this time of year about Roman Catholicism and whether or not uh, Roman Catholics are born again, whether or not they're they're gonna, they're saved. Basically, that's the question. And so I'm going to address this this morning. And before I do that, I just I want to remind you guys that this podcast is not intended to be a place for a Christian debate. So, for example, I get a lot of questions here about homosexuality, about transgenderism, a lot of hot button topics that we are and unfortunately are not addressing in the church. And my my goal here is just to present you with what the Bible teaches on these issues, uh, anything that you bring to me at Mailbox Monday. And then I'm going to encourage you, go to the Bible for yourself to do what the Apostle Paul uh, admonished Timothy to do, to show yourself an approved workman who does not need to be ashamed. You don't have to go to Bible college to understand and read the Bible for yourself. The Bible doesn't need a commentary. The Bible doesn't need, uh, you don't need a pastor to help you understand the word of God. If, if you didn't have access to any commentaries or any Christian thought leaders or any pastors or any teachers, and all you had was the Bible and you were filled with the Holy Spirit, it would be enough. Now, are these teachers helpful? Yes. And I'm not knocking pastors or saying that, you know, we don't need them. We do. 
But at the end of the day, I think it it has a lot of times created Christians who are dependent on these thought leaders and pastors and teachers to teach them the word of God instead of doing the work of studying the word of God for themselves. And so that's part of why I talked to you last week about context and scripture and why it's so important to understand how to study the Bible. You can study the Bible for yourself and then allow the Holy Spirit to help you understand what it says. So I'm going to share with you what I believe to be true and leave the rest to the Lord. So if you want to write me and debate to me, uh, debate with me about the issue of, of Catholicism, I will not be doing that. I'm just going to tell you what I believe the Bible says. So this question came in from Jen in Washington State. And she said, Heidi, how do I respond to a Catholic friend about the differences in our Bibles or why she says the Catholic Church is the right and first church or why she goes to a priest for forgiveness? How do I biblically answer these questions and where is the best place to find them? All right. So first of all, you guys know, I really appreciate the ministry of gotquestions.org, and I'm going to link back to some of the things that they've written in the show notes today. But I think it's very important that we address this from a position of biblical authority. And there are many important differences between Catholics and Protestants. And I think in recent years, we've seen, we're seeing more and more uh, wonderful people doing incredible work. Lila Rose comes to mind. Uh, uh, I saw Mark Wahlberg on a morning show the other day with a cross on his forehead for Lent. He's obviously a practicing Catholic. Many of the pro-life leaders in our uh, culture right now are practicing Catholics. And so I have a lot of respect and love for many of them. A lot of them are friends of mine. Uh, but one of the first major differences between Catholicism and Protestantism is the authority of Scripture. So, for example, I believe that the Bible alone is the source of God's special revelation to mankind. He teaches us what is necessary uh, to pursue Him, what's necessary for salvation. Uh, he, the Bible teaches me about my relationship with sin and how it is forgiven. And we commonly refer to this as one of the five solas, right? Uh, sola is Latin for alone. It comes out of the Protestant Reformation, sola scriptura, meaning uh, scripture alone is sufficient. And there are many, many verses in the Bible that establish the authority of scripture and say that it is sufficient for all matters of faith and practice. Second Timothy 3.16 comes to mind. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And now the Catholic Church rejects the doctrine of sola scriptura, and they don't believe that the Bible alone is sufficient. They believe that both the Bible and the uh, sacred Roman Catholic tradition are equally binding upon the Christian. And many Roman Catholic doctrines, such as purgatory, uh, praying to the saints, uh, worship, or uh, the veneration of Mary, have little to no basis in Scripture, and these are based solely on Roman Catholic tradition. I'm going to continue to go back to the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16 again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The scripture is all that we need. And there's another disagreement between uh, Protestantism and Catholicism. And this obviously has to do with the office and the authority of the Pope. 
I'm going to quote here from gotquestions.org because I thought it was very well worded and I think it will be helpful for you to understanding this this important difference. According to Catholicism, the Pope is the vicar of Christ. So a vicar is a substitute, right? And represents Jesus as the head of the church. And so as such, the Pope has the ability to speak literally uh, for the Lord in authority and on matters of faith and practice. So when, what the Pope says, you know, made from the seat of authority are infallible and binding upon all Christians. You guys, wow. When we put our, our, our faith and trust in a human being, a fallible human being, uh, the, the current Pope right now, for example, is an embarrassment, I think, to the Catholic Church. And how they can think that he's infallible is beyond me. On the other hand, Protestants believe that no human being is infallible. We believe that Christ alone is the head of the church, and Catholics re- rely on an apostolic succession as a way of establishing the Pope's authority. So Protestants believe that the church's authority comes not from apostolic succession, but from the word of God. And Catholicism teaches that only the Catholic Church can properly interpret the Bible. We believe uh, here at the at the Heidi St. John podcast and my husband and my family, we believe that the Bible teaches that God sent the Holy Spirit. This is why I started the podcast talking to you about the importance of studying the Bible for yourself. I believe that God sent the Holy Spirit to indwell all born-again believers, and this is what helps us understand the message of the Bible. Uh, let's look for just a second at John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17 in the ESV. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper referring to the Holy Spirit to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth from whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is a powerful uh, belief that we have. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, it says, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you, again, talking about the Holy Spirit, everything and is true and is no lie, just as he taught you, abide in him. A third major difference between Catholicism and Protestantism is how a person is saved. Another of the five solas of the Reformation is sola fida in faith, which means uh, in faith alone. This affirms the biblical doctrine of justification by grace, which we've talked about at the show and also at MomStrong International. We believe in grace alone, through faith alone, because Christ alone was the substitution for our sin, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Listen to what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Uh, We also need to be concerned about the teaching of baptismal regeneration. So this idea that by the very work of putting water on a baby's head, by the very operating of the thing itself, the very work of the water in the priestly act can change the nature of a baby from lost in original sin to saved through regeneration. So this notion has has produced, um, I would say, untold, uh, ill-founded confidence in the people of God who have little or no personal faith or no relationship with Jesus Christ and no love for Jesus. And yet because of their baptism, they believe they are heaven bound. This is impossible to prove in scripture. And again, a major difference between uh, Catholicism and Protestantism. 
Uh, there's several differences. I'm not going to go through all of them today for a time, but one disturbing aspect of the Catholic doctrine of purgatory is the belief that a man can and must pay for his own sin. So this results in a low view of the sufficiency and the efficiency of Christ's atonement on the cross. Simply put, the Roman Catholic view of salvation implies that Christ's atonement on the cross was insufficient payment for the sins of those who believe him. And even a believer must pay for his own sins, either through the acts of penance or time in purgatory. But the Bible teaches that it is Christ's death alone that can satisfy and propitiate God's wrath against sinners. Romans 3, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance had passed over former sins. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. A third major difference between Catholicism and Protestantism is how a person is saved. So another of the five solas of the Reformation is in faith alone, which affirms the biblical doctrine of justification by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. However, Catholics teach that the Christian must rely on faith plus, quote, meritorious works in order to be saved. So essential to the Roman Catholic doctrine of salvation are the seven sacraments, which are baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, penance, anointing of the sick, holy orders, and matrimony. Protestants, on the other hand, believe that on the basis of faith in Christ alone, believers are justified by God and their sins were paid for by Christ at the cross. And it's his righteousness that is then imputed to them. On the other hand, Catholics believe that Christ's righteousness is imparted to the believer by grace through faith, but that itself, that in and of itself is not sufficient to justify the believer. Uh, We disagree on what it means to be justified before God. To the Catholic, justification involves being made righteous and holy. Uh, A Catholic believes that their faith in Christ is only the beginning of salvation and that the individual must build then uh, upon that salvation with good works because God's grace of eternal salvation has got to be merited. So this view of justification, I believe it contradicts the, the, the absolute clear teaching of scripture in passages such like Romans 4 and Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. And so I'm going to encourage you, and I will link back to these in the show notes today, but I want you to read the word of God for yourself and uh, and ask the Lord to help you understand it. There's one more really, I mean, there's several other pretty major differences. Uh, we don't, we have very different views on what happens after death. Uh, both groups teach that unbelievers will spend eternity in hell, but there's a big difference between what happens to believers from their church traditions and their reliance on uh, Catholic books. The Catholics have developed a doctrine of purgatory. So purgatory, according to the Catholic encyclopedia, I'm going to read it for you, is, quote, a place or condition of temporal punishment for those who, departing this life in God's grace, are not entirely free from venial faults or have not fully paid the satisfaction due to their transgressions. So that's straight out of the the Catholic encyclopedia. Christians, Protestants, I'm going to stop using the word Christians because I know you guys are going to freak out at me. Protestants believe that we are justified by faith alone. I'm in I'm going to keep going back to the sufficiency of Christ, the sufficiency of scripture, the sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God and the payment for our sin. So we believe we've been justified by faith in Christ alone. 
and that Christ's righteousness is then imputed to us. Therefore, when we die, we go straight to heaven to be in the presence of the Lord. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verses six to 10. This is probably, my grandmother used to read this passage to me and it's, it's, um, it's such an encouragement. Listen to this. So we are always of good courage. Again, this is the apostle Paul. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and would be rather be away from our body and be at home with the Lord. So that whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The Bible is pretty clear on what happens after death. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. This is Paul talking to the Philippians. He didn't say I'm gonna depart and be with and go to purgatory. And if God thinks I did enough good works to satisfy his anger toward my sin, then I'll end up in heaven. No, he said, I'm gonna, de- my desire is to depart and be with Christ. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for the believer. By now, you guys know about my grave concern regarding our public education system here in the United States. Our children today are being taught a revisionist history, and they're made to believe that America is systemically racist. Our monuments are being torn down, vilified, and destroyed. But in the midst of all the cultural chaos, I've got some good news for you. Created for kindergarten through second graders, the Otto's Tales storybook series by PragerU is a fun, meaningful, and easy way to bring your family closer together while passing on the values, history, and traditions that unite us all as Americans. PragerU offers over 200 free episodes, books, and magazines that are designed to bring you guys closer together. And I'm telling you what, you're going to love it. Check out the sweet storytime show for young kids that celebrates American values through classic folk tales and adventures about America's holidays, traditions, and important destinations. PragerU Kids is here to preserve American history with a new season of Otto's Tales that takes readers on adventures to visit important destinations like the Statue of Liberty, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, Mount Rushmore, and more. Learn about Otto's Tales and teach your children why America is a special place by visiting HeidiStJohn.com forward slash offers. That's HeidiStJohn.com forward slash offers. And one other thing, and I'll, I'll touch on, and I'll, I'll link back to some of these things in the show notes so you guys can uh, look them up for yourself. But the doctrine of purgatory, right? This belief that man can and has to pay for his own sin, this really lowers the view of the sufficiency of scripture and the efficiency of Christ's atonement on the cross. And so it implies that his death on the cross was not enough to pay for our sins. And the Bible teaches that it is Christ's death alone that can satisfy God's wrath against sinners. Romans 3.25, for whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood or a substitution that satisfies, so whom God put forth as a satisfaction by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. Hebrews 2 verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You guys, our works of righteousness are never going to add to what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. I've given you guys some of my concerns 
about matters regarding to Catholicism. But the question, can a Catholic be born again? I believe the answer to that question is yes. I believe and I have met a genuine Christians who are devout Roman Catholics. And I think that they're devout in that the sense that they're earnest, they're sincere, but it's inconsistent with scripture. Inconsistent in that their true heart embrace of Jesus is better than their mental ideas or doctrines. Listen to what John Piper had to say. If a person has a genuine encounter with the living Christ and recognizes the depth of human sacrifice and the hopelessness that we are in without grace and without Christ, and if they see Jesus as the substitute that God provided to bear our punishment and provide all that we need for acceptance with God, and if that person then throws themselves upon the mercy of Christ, despairing of all self-reliance and cherishes Christ as his supreme treasure and hope for eternal life, then that person is saved, even if many doctrinal ideas are confused or erroneous. In other words, it is possible for a person's heart and his essential grasp of Christ to be far better than the structures of his doctrinal framework. And thank the Lord, you guys, we can all be thankful for this. And so again, you guys, I'm not trying to become a place for Christian debate. I've presented to you what I believe the Bible teaches. As you guys get those questions to me at Mailbox Monday, go to the Bible for yourself and become the workman who studies to show himself an approved workman unto God who does not need be ashamed. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you understand the Bible and trust that he will do that. All right. Another question came in from Caitlin in Michigan. She said, Heidi, I've recently been struggling with something that was told to me by a wise Christian woman. She said, hardships will come into your life when you are aligned with God's plan for you. Does this mean that if we are not facing trials in our lives, we are not submitting to God's plan for our life? Uh, Okay. So the short answer is no, but I want to touch on human suffering for a moment. Uh, This this idea that um, hardships, whether we are experiencing them or whether we're not experiencing them, has something to do with we must not be in alignment with God. I mean, I've heard people say that if we're suffering, we must not be in alignment with God. And I've heard people say, if you're not suffering, you're not in alignment with God. And so I want you to think for just a minute about Jesus. Jesus suffered severe hardship and God's going to hold us up. You guys, whatever we walk through, God holds us up with his hand. And when God does something in your life, suffering isn't meaningless. He isn't forsaken you. And so I always encourage people in the midst of suffering, instead of doubting, start praying. Ask the Lord for strength, for encouragement, for comfort, for help. Uh, A.W. Pink, when an amazing uh, theologian in his time said, faith endures as seeing him who is invisible, endures the disappointments, the hardship, and the heartaches of life by recognizing that all comes from the hand of him who is too wise to err and too loving to be unkind. Charles Spurgeon said that trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we are made of. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 3 to 5, Paul said, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry would not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. If anybody knew something about suffering, it was the Apostle Paul, right, who suffered. And he said this is how he learned the secret of contentment. He learned it through suffering. And in many, in many aspects of the Christian life, this is 
this is our, we can identify with this, right? But let's go on further a little bit and look at what Paul said after that. So he was saying he he had suffered beatings, imprisonment. He had been put to work, sleepless nights. He'd been experiencing hunger. But then he goes on to say, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and are not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. People see resurrection power in this, right? This is Paul enduring so many trials and in the midst of his suffering, he gives glory and credit to the Lord. He says that endurance is what God has given him because God is the one who is sustaining Paul in his suffering and God sustains you in your suffering and me in my suffering. And so how do we know the will of God? We read his word. We ask God to uh, to show us that, uh, to enlighten us as we were talking about this earlier in the in the show today. We ask the Lord to help us understand his word. You guys, listen, God is for you. He's not against you. The Bible says that he's good and the things that he brings into our lives are ultimately for our good. He chose Christ before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians 1, 4. He prepared good works for us to complete. That's Ephesians 2, 10. Saved us while we were yet sinners, brought us from death uh, into life through the Holy Spirit. And then after that, he enables us to walk in obedience no matter what is happening around us. And so we don't have to walk on eggshells or anxiously await inevitable punishment because all of God's wrath was poured out on Christ at the cross. And once we become a Christian, according to the Bible, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21 and Romans 5.9, there's no wrath left. And in fact, for those who are in Christ, God loves us as much as he loves the son. Listen to John 17 verse 23. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You guys, God has good things for you. He loves you. So how do you, how do you know God's, God's plan for your life? Walk with him. Walk with him. If you want to know God's plan for your life, you got to learn to walk with God. So you do that by developing a relationship with him. You get into the word, you study God's word. That's why I started Mom Strong International. That's why we study the Bible every month over at MSI. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And whether you are in time of want or in time of uh, plenty, God wants you to surrender your will to his. And so lots of times we you know we're seeking God's will what we really want to say to God is, "Okay God, here's what I'm planning to do. Now I just need you to approve it, right? So I'm just looking for your seal of approval." And you guys, this is not what God wants. Before he's going to reveal his will to you, he wants you you've got to be committed to doing whatever it is that God wants you to do. Listen to Romans chapter 12 verses 1 to 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. You guys, Jesus was willing to die for us. 
So we should be willing to live for him. And when we surrender to him, that is when he really begins to direct our steps. So walk with the Lord, surrender to his will, uh, obey what you already know to be God's will. You know, uh, my uh, one of my very favorite Bible teachers a long time ago said, you know, people overthink, you know, what the will of God is. You know, many people seem to want to know what God's plan is for your life, but we overlook the fact that 98% of his will is already delineated carefully in his word. What does he want us to do? He wants us to love justice, to walk humbly with the Lord. And if we do not obey the things that God has clearly shown us to be correct in his word, then we're obviously out of his will. So obedience is an important first step. So that's why studying the Bible, so we understand what God wants us to do, and then we walk in his ways. So it has a lot to do with sin. It has a lot to do with um, with our desire to know him and to live a righteous life. And then obviously we want to seek godly input. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. So lots of, uh, we can go all kinds of, of, of places with this, but I just want to encourage you today that God has a plan for your life. He loves you. His heart toward you is always ever only good. And you can trust him. He's trustworthy. So I hope this was encouraging to you. I know that some of you are wrestling through these issues and I think they're important issues. Again, I'm going to direct you to the word of God. We'll put a bunch of of scriptures for you in the show notes today, but come before the Lord. If you're wrestling with a topic and you want to know what the Lord has, he's not trying to hide who he is from you or make it hard for you to understand. Open the pages of the Bible and trust that the Holy Spirit will help you understand. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope you have a fantastic Monday, my favorite day of the week here at the show. I would love to hear from you. If you've got a question or topic you'd like me to address, shoot it to me at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. I want to encourage you, we are continuing to study about the role of women, particularly mothers in the culture today through my brand new Bible study. It is called Irreplaceable, the life-changing, soul-steadying role of mothers. And you can sign up and join me for that study at momstronginternational.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great day. And I will see you back here again tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture.